Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and cool, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest Welcome, ladies and germs, boils and ghouls, all of our Talking Terror fans, nationwide and countrywide. Welcome back to another episode of Talking Terror. It is that time once again where we broadcast every week, Wednesday, 9 to 11. This week on the show, it is my pick, your old pal, the King of Horror and the G's pick. And, whoa, what is this? I'm going modern, something that I never thought I would do for the show Never thought I would pick a modern horror movie to talk about because I've been so disappointed by a lot of the modern horror movies that are out these days. But this one is actually from this year. So this one came out in March of 2018, and it's The Strangers, Pray at Night, directed by Johannes Roberts. So I'm really looking forward to talking about that. But I do have to make a special note before we continue. This is going to be a tag team show tonight. It's going to be The Mad Monkey and myself. Unfortunately, the doc and the ghoul got uh, sidelined by how life often sidelines people, so they cannot be on board. But we do have the Mad Monkey fresh out of his cell early because he has to pick up the hosting duties. So he got out of his cage a little bit early. He was setting off fireworks and chewing on some barbecue. So welcome to the show, Monkey. Hello, my lovelies. That's right. Team Hell No is in here, the big horror machine, the king of horror, and the tiny little <laughs> mad monkey here for your horror entertainment this evening. Glad to be here for another episode of Talking Terror. Ah, king, I miss you. I'm looking forward to this episode. Like you said, the king of horror picked a brand new episode, a brand new movie to go with our new episode. Ah, the times they are changing. King. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know. I didn't think it could ever be done. I mean, there has been some movies recently that I have liked, but this one is about as brand spanking new as you could possibly get, only coming out a few months ago in theaters and now on Blu-ray and DVD. So I'm excited to talk about it, uh, to hear your opinions about it, and to hear what you thought. So I'm glad that you're here, even though the doc and uh, the ghoul couldn't join us. But for all of our American audience, happy Fourth of July. I hope you got some cool-ass fireworks. And I hope you got to eat some barbecue, have a couple adult beverages, perhaps, and are ready for an all-new episode. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm half English, so that means that my entire childhood, I didn't know what to do on Fourth of July, just because one half of me is telling me to celebrate the Queen, the other half of me is telling me to stand up and salute. Ah, interesting holiday for my family. <laughs> but yeah, it was Fourth of July, and lots of people were really getting their, you know, shit on with Fourth of July. It's like, if it's cool with you, King, I'm just gonna jump right here into horror news about how oh, yeah. I was. I was really excited how I, I was totally thrown off because last night I was finding channels that were doing Jaws and Piranha marathons, and I I had no Ooh. idea this was coming and. It's just I was surprised to see so much horror going on the television for Fourth of July of all things. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I would think that Jaws would be a part of Fourth of July if you're going to have a little marathon, because I think Jaws takes place uh, during that Fourth of July weekend, if I'm not mistaken. I know it's been a long time since I've seen Jaws. Yeah, I believe the first one takes place during the Fourth of July weekend. You know, but I was just like, nice nod. You know, well well played. That was just so cool. And then I flipped the (laughs) channel over to, I think, Sci-Fi or something like that, and on the flip side... They were doing a piranha marathon. I think this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was honestly a, a great way for horror fans to kind of spend the, the holiday today, Fourth uh, of July. Um, what was interesting, and I know we talked about this earlier, but uh, Sci-Fi Channel, as you had mentioned, that was playing the piranha marathon. Normally on Fourth of July, they run the Twilight Zone marathon, just like they do on New Year's Day. They run a whole marathon of Twilight Zone episodes. But this year, they decided to do a little bit different, and they went with A Nightmare on Elm Street, one through five, and then they included the remake. So it was kind of a shift um, in content. I know a lot of people were kind of happy because of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Some people were disappointed because of Twilight Zone. So I kind of wonder if it's a situation where they're kind of tired of running Twilight Zone episodes. You know, maybe the audience just isn't there anymore, and they want to try something different. I don't know what you think. No, that's the thing is, because um, we hung up for New Year's, and, you know, I knew about the Twilight Zone Marathon, but I didn't know that they did it for Fourth of July as well. Was it was it, was it traditionally only the old stuff that they were doing, or were they tapping into the um, n- newer versions of Twilight Zone as well? Uh, no, it was always the Rod Serling episodes, always the black and white, oh. you know, Rod Serling introduced episodes. Mm. Okay. So with The Nightmare on Elm Street, it makes me wonder if sci-fi is trying to go in a different direction and just do something else for that holiday. I mean, maybe not for New Year's Day. I'd be surprised if they took it off for New Year's Day as well, because that's a huge event for people that are fans of Twilight Zone uh, to sit down for the New Year's Day marathon. So if they take it away then, mm-hmm. I'm going to be surprised. Yeah, and, and plus, I, I really, you know, we talked about this in length, you know, on the show before, but it's just I really enjoy sharing the Twilight Zone with younger viewers and seeing their reactions mm-hmm. to, to the, the older series. And, you know, I, I, I love, you know, seeing the gears start to go, you know, shift and stuff like that when they start to figure out, you know, the, oh, you know, things of just what happened in the episodes. And, you know, even though they're very, very old, the stories are still very written, very well written. And, you know, I believe that kids can enjoy them just as much today as they did when it was first on television. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a couple episodes that stand out to me that are still effective today, uh, like the monsters are due on, on Mulberry Street, uh, which mm-hmm. is kind of a politically charged episode, if you will, and I think now even more so that kind oh, of very. content is prevalent. Yeah, very think much so. Too? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think that, you know, they were kind of ahead of their time with a lot of their episodes. You know, when you watch it now, it's like, I can't believe this is in the 60s that they were talking about these topics and stuff that's prevalent now just as much as it was in the 60s. Yeah, it was really good social commentary, but then on certain episodes, but then other episodes was just really well-written entertainment that's been able to last for decades. Yeah, they're they're timeless to me, a lot of the episodes, like Talkie Tina, um, Eye of the Beholder, (laughs) The Aliens. Where it's like, you know, she's a beautiful woman, but technically she's a freak because everybody else is normal on that planet. Yeah. 
love that episode, that reveal mm-hmm. at the end when all of a sudden she's a mm-hmm. normal person, everybody else is a freak. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, no, she's a monster. Mm-hmm. I just, <laughs> it's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, and that's the, the the great thing about the Twilight Zone is when people talk about it, everyone's got their favorite episodes, and you know if they you know grew, grew up watching it, and you, you know, and just to hear what particular people's episodes are of you know what was their favorite one from the the series. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, it, it's a timeless mm-hmm. show, and like you had said, it's a great show where you could sit down with kids and watch these episodes because they're family friendly. They're not violent. You know, they're not too scary. You know, they're scary enough, but at the same time, it's a show that I think kids can appreciate, you know, and get a kick out of, you know, seeing these episodes. Yeah, and when they went in the episode of horror, I I really liked it because it was nothing graphic or anything like that. What it was is the the younger viewers had to be mature enough in the mindset to be able to understand the horror to actually find it scary. Like, they, they had to understand the the story that was put to them. If not, then they just went over their head and they just found that as an entertaining thing. But to actually be scared from some of the stuff that was put before them, you know, they, they had to actually understand just the complexity of the plots that were being put before them. Oh, yeah, and we've talked about it on the show before. I mean, I grew up watching Twilight Zone with my mother and my father, and there was only one episode that ever really scared me when I was a kid, and that was when I was home with my mother. We watched an episode where... Uh, phone calls were coming from a grave. And as we were watching that episode, the phone rang. And we both jumped out of our skin and we're like, oh, shit. <laughs> is this real life? Like, is this happening? Like, we both freaked out and we're looking at the phone and I'm like, you answer it. She's like, no, you answer it. I was like, no, I don't know. I don't want to know who's on the other end. <laughs> it was the first time I was ever freaked out by a Twilight Zone episode. I'll never forget that. But I think that's what's good about Twilight Zone. It creates memories, good or bad. You know, you remember specific episodes <laughs> and specific moments. Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> I swear to God, like, I'll never forget that. My mother and I just staring at the phone going, you answer it. <laughs> okay, oh, hello. My dad's like, hey, how's it going? Mm-hmm. Oh, God, it's just dad. Oh, good. Yeah, he's not dead. He's fine. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. so it was great. So what else do you got for horror news? Horror news, I actually have some actual horror news where it's unfortunately real world horror that, you know, I got to bring up here just because. Sure. Yeah. It's just, you know, as you Fright fans know out there, this show is unofficially sponsored by Pat's Blue Ribbon and we have a dilemma, America. Pat's Blue Ribbon oh, could be in trouble. Uh, it seems that Pat's Blue Ribbon is having a problem with Miller's Coors, uh, Miller Coors, who is actually doing the brewing for PBR. And unfortunately, things have not been going so well for Coors, and they're looking to have to downsize their operations. And in that downsizing, they're looking at taking out the Paps division, which means they will be taking out the Paps beers uh, along with <laughs> Old Milwaukee. And Colt 45. Oh, no. So, yeah. Oh, that, yeah that, I love all those figures. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing is, Old Milwaukee is my backup when I can't get PBR. Yes, <laughs> that's I love like, <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and Colt 45, come on. Billy D. Williams, he's going to be out of a job. Yeah. 
I know. That was his it's whole like, thing. Yeah, they're hitting Lando be- below the belt. That's not cool. They really are. <laughs> but yeah, it's, yeah, but it just seems like, you know, declining sales and whatnot is causing them to do this. They have a contract until 2020, and then they're going to have, PBR is going to have to figure out whether or not they're going to try and negotiate with cores, or are they going to find another company, or are they going to try and build another plant? Because well, that's what, uh, yeah, that's that's what got me about it, uh, Monkey. Is I read the article yeah. about how in November they're going to court and they're going to hash this whole thing out, whether they strike another deal with Noah Core or whether they create their own brewery to keep PBR in Old Milwaukee and Cold Forty Five going. They said that it was declining sales, and I don't think that PBR is a declining sale. I mean, everywhere you go, you're bound to find PBR, whether it's a bar, whether oh. it's a beer store. Oh. I yeah. No, that's not it. It's, it's not declining sales because of PBR. It's declining sales on cores and their products. So, oh, see, that's on, on our fault, on, guys. <laughs> yeah, on their on on the Miller Core side of it, they are they are having declining sales. So for them to take care of their own asses, they are looking oh. at what to trim. You know, no PBR is rock, PBR is rocking and doing just fine. You, you yeah. and I both know this because we keep them in business. But, yeah, I know. But, it's just us. Like we should be getting like plaques with our names on it at this point about how much yeah, we keep them in business. Yeah, seriously, I don't know why we don't have stocks in this shit. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. But I mean, Coors uh, banquet beer. I mean, that's my go-to as well. If I can't find PBR, I'll drink Coors banquet beer all day long. I love that beer. But yeah, it's Miller and Coors. Get your fucking act together not PBR's fault, you know, it's unfortunate, but I, I wonder if PBR is going to basically say, you know what, we're out of this thing, uh, we're just going to go strike out on our own, because I feel like their sales are good enough, where they could probably create a couple breweries around the country, and be successful. Yeah, well, you know, it, um, with PBR, we also had, back in the day, their brewery was the giant PBR castle, you know, out there in the Midwest. In New Jersey. They had a big one. In New Jersey. In New Jersey, they've got the PB, a PBR castle. I thought that no, was they have a wall. huge. They had a huge uh, uh, brewery in New Jersey, in Newark. Oh, okay. No, but then the original one that was out in Milwaukee actually looks like a giant castle for PBR. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the diva has been to the, the PBR castle <laughs> in, <laughs> one, in one of her many, many road trips. <laughs> when she was I with her band, but yeah. Bury us there. <laughs> we die. Just bury us at the PBR castle. <laughs> Put us in PBR coffins. Bury us in PBR suits. Like, you know, we're going out with our PBR boots on. But, you know, in Newark, uh, where I grew up, there was a huge uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon, uh, and they had a gigantic Pabst Blue Ribbon bottle on top of the building. It's still there. I mean, it doesn't have the Pabst label on it anymore, but that bottle is still there on the old building that you could pass by in Newark. Oh, yeah, they, were, okay. they were they were brewing for a long time in uh, New Jersey. Okay, but yeah, um, again, we'll see. This you know goes to trial in November, and hopefully, everyone will be able to play nice, and our beers will not be affected. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm nervous. <laughs> you know, I was yeah, talking about too. it with my dad the other week, and I was telling about how you brought that up to me, and I was like, yeah, I'm nervous. So I was like, what am I going to do if these three beers go out? Like, you know. I don't know what to do if Pabst Woman goes 
I was like, that's been my go-to since I was 22 years old. <laughs> Come on. Like, I can't, you know, deal without Pap Swerven being in the world. They will not have to go yeah, to now. I was like, I don't know. Yeah, just because it's not like you know the king and I are beer connoisseurs. We oh uh, we we no. are, have not been, we have not been known to drink for taste. We we no. we 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 drink for quantity, not quality. <laughs> as we do know, and as we saw at uh, Shore Theater in October, we do not drink for taste. We drink for quantities, massive quantities, where we yes, could build that, little that, towers that, of pap stands. <laughs> when we build pyramids of beer cans <laughs> in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, we have it for the maid in the morning. I'm sure she got a kick out of our, our Paps Towers that we had built over I, the night. I, I loved her a 20 under the pyramid, and I wrote thanks you on, the, on the 20. <laughs> so, hey, listen, you got a $20 tip, and you get a castle to look at. That's a pretty good day for that night. <laughs> she right, just so needed to bring up... <laughs> She just needed to bring an extra trash can for all the beer. <laughs> yeah, like the industrial size one. Not like a little like waste paper basket. No, she needed to bring in like the big ass steel drum to put all those cans in that we got rid of that night. Oh no, yeah, she made... will be fine. We'll survive on that. Yeah, okay. Okay, monkey. <laughs> yeah, we went through three thirty packs that weekend. <laughs> yes, we did. No regrets. Thank you, Pat. <laughs> And we were only there for one night. <laughs> yeah, I know. We were there for one night. But that also doesn't count the fact that we were also having beers by your, by your car for much of the event. This is true. <laughs> that was also fantastic. It's like, hey, man, let's take a break. Let's go to the car and just drink beers. Excellent choice. <laughs> and just close the trunk when a cop walks by. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and they did walk by a couple times. I'm like, oh, no, I'm just going to drink this real quick. It turns like a Diet Coke. Like, hey, guys, I'm just drinking soda. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, so what else uh, do you got? Well, also in horror news, and I'm really excited about this, is that there is a new documentary being worked on for the movie Monster Squad. Oh. Oh. And it's it's titled Wolfman's Got Nard. Perfect. I love it already. Yes, I do. And this movie is going to, uh, from what I understand, is supposed to be about the fan base of the movie. It's uh, supposed to talk about the people that were involved with the movie, the actors, the creators, director, writers, that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm personally really excited about this just because there's not a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff on the DVD. That's no, out there, no. unfortunately. And this is a movie that I would really, really love to see as much behind-the-scenes stuff as I could, just because, you know, I, lo- I love this movie. It, it, this was like a quintessential movie of the 80s for me. I grew up watching this as a kid. You know, actually, one of the few movies I got to see in the theater. <laughs> but it was, an you know, an awesome combination of, in my opinion, <laughs> Ghostbusters meets Goonies, and you put you put these two together, and we got this awesome thing of kids fighting the Universal monsters. So, I'm yeah, look, yeah, and unfortunately, I don't have any information about a release date as of yet. Um, all I know is they're still working on it, but yeah, I'm really really excited about this. 
Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, that's a good comparison. Uh, Ghostbusters meets the Goonies. I always thought it was Universal Monsters meets the Goonies, like you had said, because you get all the classic uh, Universal Monsters. But that's another one of those movies, and I know we've talked about it plenty of times about the Monster Squad. I was always disappointed that it didn't get much more fanfare than it deserved. Everybody was talking about the Goonies back in the day. I was like, yeah, but what about the Monster Squad? Like, I felt like the Monster Squad had more balls to it. Like, it was more horror. It was more action. It got you nards. You have more nards? Like, the kids were more badass. Like, I related more to the kids in Monster Squad than I did in the Goonies. Like, the yeah, Goonies is great. me too. And, and I love the Goonies. But the Monster Squad kids I related to more because that was me at that age. You know, running around watching horror movies and monster movies. Yeah, but it was it also, in my opinion, I thought um, the acting was better for the kids about acting how we did in the streets at that time. That that's how we acted. That's how we acted with each other, and you know that that I thought that one just nailed it better as far as just the kids doing their roles. Yeah, I mean, because like, you, you watch the Goonies, and, and like I said, I'm, I'm a fan of the Goonies, but I feel like the Goonies is more polished when it comes to the kids' yeah. dialogue. Um, whereas the Monster Squad, like you had said, it's more natural. Like, it feels like that's how I would talk to my friends back in the day. I, you know, it's not perfect. You know, you curse at each other. You know, I mean, you don't exactly like each other for whatever reason, but you still come together. And that's why I always wanted to be in the Monster Squad rather than be in the Goonies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, same, same thing as Dracula like, and the fucking creature and shit. Yeah, and you know, like you said, they were just more badass. And yeah, it's unfortunately it's one of those things where as soon as it showed up in theaters, I'm glad I got to see it when I did because you know, blink of an eye, it's gone. Yeah, yeah, it didn't last long in theaters, I don't think. So, you know, no, if it you got to see it like it, you did. That's great, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it bombed, and I and I seriously, I I just can't wrap my head around why. It's like because I go back, I watch the trailers and stuff like that, and I you know I get myself in a mental mindset of okay, you know, blank slate. Let's check this out. And yeah, right. every time I go to ch- every time I go to watch it, it's I'm like, well, fuck yeah, I want to see this. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I mean it's a good time, and you know it, it's. One of the things where it's like, why did the Goonies make such an impact? And the Monster Squad is kind of like a, a very selective kind of crew that likes the Monster Squad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very, very kind of exclusive mm-hmm. club to be a fan of the Monster Squad as opposed to the Goonies, where the Goonies, it's like everybody likes the Goonies because it's got a classic 80s soundtrack, a lot of classic 80s movie stars as kids. But the Monster Squad, it's like the dirtier version. It's like, yeah, this isn't your daddy's Goonies. You know, this is the Monster Squad. You know, so you're going to yeah. see some shit. Well, Monster Squad had a montage. Goonies didn't have a montage. <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't have a motherfucking montage. That was the problem. And maybe if they did, I would appreciate it more. But, it, I mean, it's the last thing that you said. Yeah. No, no, I was just going to say, even Rocky had a montage. And that's all we're yeah. going to say about Stallone for this episode. <laughs> yeah, until the doc comes back. And then we can full on talk about Stallone. But... It's uh, it's interesting that you bring up the fact that, uh, you know, it kind of was released in the theaters and it was kind of a flop because another movie turned 32 this week, and that's Big Trouble in Little China, the John Carpenter film with Kurt Russell as Jack Burton. And you know that mm-hmm. movie, that Big Trouble in Little China is one of my favorite movies by John Carpenter. It's such a classic movie. Oh, yeah. But 
again, the 80s were a hard time for Carpenter because Big Trouble Little China was a flop. The Thing was a flop. Prince of Darkness was a flop. So he had a lot of flops in the 80s. But you watch a movie like Big Trouble in Little China now, and you're like, how is this a flop? Like, it's so funny, and it's got a lot of action. It's got, you know, kung fu and karate and sci-fi elements and horror elements. You know, you watch it now, and it's like, how does this not, you know, get more attention when it was released back in 86? Yeah, and it's so much fun just because it's so over the top, especially when you compare this to Escape from New York, which just came out a couple of years before that. It's right. a complete it's it's a complete opposite where in my opinion, you know, no, no matter how much people want to sit there and talk trash about Escape from New York, in my opinion, that movie was trying to be a gritty action movie. And then you take Big Trouble in Little China, which went completely the opposite direction of just embracing the the fun and campiness of what an action movie can be. And yes, everything's extremely over the top, you know, <laughs> and exaggerated, but it's so much fun to watch. Well, and plus you have Jack Burton played by Kurt Russell, and you think he's going to be the big badass of the movie. You know, he's got big muscles, he's got a knife, he drives a truck, he's a little bit of a badass, but when it comes down to it, when he has to get into the shit and start fighting people, you know, he's like, well, I don't know what the fuck to do right now. Like, is that a guy flying? Like, is that magic? Like, what is going on right now? And, you know, well, the, the side character, Dennis Dunn's character, he becomes kind of like the lead, even though it's supposed to be Jack Burton, because he knows what's going on. He knows about the magic mm-hmm. in the underworld, Chinatown. Meanwhile, Jack Burton just waving a knife around going, yeah, I'll, I'll get you. But at the same time, he's freaked well, out for what he's seeing. Well, I, I, I love that you bring that up, though, about how, like, you know, the poster artwork, you know, it's all Jack Burton. You know, um, oh, merchandise. Yeah. You know, it. You know, it's all about Jack Burton. And even when you start to watch the movie, it sets you up at the very, very beginning. You know about Jack Burton. You leave Jack Burton alone. He helped us okay. in a you know terrible moment. So we think we're getting ready to see the story of Jack Burton and how he's <laughs> yeah. a badass. You know, and then it turns out it's, he's not. You know, everyone else in the movie turns out to be a badass except Jack Burton. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean they had the one scene that's in the movie where they're in the basement in uh, Chinatown and they're battling a bunch of the, of the karate guys and Jack Burton goes down to reach for his knife and it falls out of his hands and he has to run out of, off screen to go find it. Meanwhile, Dennis Dunn's kicking everybody's ass. He's flying around, he's kicking people in the face, he's beating people down. And then when Jack Burton comes back, everybody's down. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's cool. Like, that's yeah. why I just, I love that. Fa- I love the character. Yeah, because that particular scene of when he jumps back into frame, and he, you know, ha! he's dual wielding a, a knife and an Uzi, and goes ha ha, you know, and he's like, oh, <laughs> like that's that's <laughs> what, you know that's pretty, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, even in the beginning when he's at the airport and he's confronting the one guy, and he's like, all right, pal, you know, if we have to go to fist, we'll go to fist. And all of a sudden, the guy breaks out two knives, and he's like, what? What the hell is this? <laughs> You know, he's so clueless, the entire movie. But I think that's probably why people didn't like it back in the day, back in 86 when it came out, is that they were expecting it to be a Kurt Russell beat him up type movie, and he's actually kind of the aloof guy that doesn't know what the fuck's going on the entire time, and everybody else does. And I think that's why yeah. it kind of didn't do as well. <laughs> this, this is true, but at the same time, it's just, you know, I remember being a kid, and when it came, 
you know, first came out on um, HBO, you know, we, we all take the hell oh. out of it. We, we watched the hell out of it. We wore the hell out of our tapes from watching it so much, you know, and it was just so much fun. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I just watched it recently because of the 32-year uh, anniversary. I had the Blu-ray, and I put it on, and I was just taken back. I was like, that's such a great – it still holds up. It's still fun. Mm-hmm. It's scary at times. It's got a lot of that karate action. It's got so much going for it. And it leads into, like, a cliffhanger ending where they could have gone and made a sequel, but because it didn't do so well, they just kind of dropped that idea. Yeah. But it's still kind of cool to think about what could have been. Yeah, and I think it was, um, in my opinion, it was the perfect action movie for, you know, us boys that were in elementary school and early middle school. It, you know, it it, it gave us action. It, you know, it gave us a little bit of sexiness. It gave us some romance. And there was some horror mixed in there, too, and put it all together. And I thought it was a really well-made movie for young kids. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because it's got everything. I mean, how can you not like the Three Stones? Like, I think they're the highlight of the movie as far as villains go. The Three Stones are so badass, you know, with their huge straw hats on. One guy rides lightning, and the other guy just shoots out different things. I mean, the Three Storms are just so cool. Even to watch it now, it's like, yeah, they're so badass. I wish they had their own movie. (laughs) Well, apparently someone thought they were badass because they went ahead and (laughs) turned one of them into Raiden into Mortal Kombat fame. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, somebody who's watching Big Trouble in Little China. But, uh, all right, yeah. so what else do you got for us, Monkey? Uh, well, real quick was, that, you know, while we've talked about waiting for Suspiria to come out and we're all excited about it, apparently uh, Quentin Tarantino, the asshole, got, <laughs> got his hands <laughs> on a copy and was able to watch the remake. But just okay. because he's, just because he's, friends with the director of the movie. Um, they've actually hung out together lots and mm-hmm. apparently were hanging out as j- judges at certain film festivals and whatnot and would hang out. And he asked Tarantino to actually, you know, check it out. And he said he was nervous about it j- just because, you know, they've hung out, but he's never really asked him for advice, you know? Right. And, <clears throat> and at the end of it, Tarantino was just so apparently so moved by it, uh, he, he was crying and hugged the director. Really? Yeah. Wow. And, crying. Wow. Yeah. And Tarantino said, because it's a horror movie, but also a melodrama, uh, the goal was to make you look at the horror without being able to take your eyes off the screen because you're captivated by the characters. Hmm. You know, so which is important. Yeah. So, oh, okay. Here it is. Uh, Luca. Oh, Google. Luca Guadagnino. Man, I can't. So, I'm sorry. I can't say the Italian names like you can. <laughs> <laughs> I like yeah. Italian cinema, so I know these names. Yeah. <laughs> Guadagnino. Yeah, but, but yeah, but uh, apparently Tarantino was very excited about this. And we've had no hiccups, and it is still scheduled for release in theaters on November second. I'm looking forward to it. And like we had talked about a couple of weeks on the show, when I talked about the the teaser trailer that they dropped, um, there was enough there that kind of got me interested and kind of got me invested. Because I mean, you're never going to be able to top Dario and what he created with the 1977 film Suspiria. But I think that Guadagnino 
has his own vision. And I've heard a lot of things about it. Um, Chloe Grace Moretz, who is a character in the movie, she watched the final cut and she said it's very in line with Stanley Kubrick, which is interesting. The fact that she kind of tied it to Kubrick when I would think you'd want to tie it to Dario. So it makes me think that Guadagnino is going in a completely different direction where he's not yeah. necessarily taking notes from Argento. He's taking notes from Kubrick, which is an interesting well, choice. But we've also talked about this is just the fact that because Suspiria is such a monumental film, you know, where it's, you know, it's an art house film. It's a horror film. It's, it's a film that yeah. is actually loved by people who, love movies, you know, like movie snobs, if you will. You know, it, it's just... I'm a just, snob. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's such a revered movie that you you got to take it in your own direction if you're going to try and take that on and bring it into a more modern life. You, you really can't try and imitate Dario. No, you can't. And, and that's what um, I've talked about numerous times on the show because I'm not a big fan of remakes. I just I, I really would rather somebody make something original. But mm-hmm. if you're gonna remake something, make it your own. Make it your own kind of statement. You know, you could use the title and still make it your own and have fun with it. Uh look at Fetty Alvarez when he did Evil Dead. Everybody was like, Oh fuck that. No way he could do Evil Dead. There's only one Evil Dead, there's only one Bruce Campbell. And the movie came out and it was great. Like I, I couldn't believe how good Fetty Alvarez's re a redoing of Evil Dead was. Because it didn't shit all over the original. It wasn't like, this is Ash now, and this is why it's badass. It's like, no, I'm going to do my own thing. It's going to be set in the same universe, and this is Evil Dead. And that's why it worked, because he wasn't trying to outdo Lane. He wasn't trying to outdo Campbell. He was doing his own thing within that universe. Yeah, and... Oh, crap. Car. <laughs> yep. Car. Oh, okay. Car. <laughs> no, and you know, like we've talked about before, it's like, yeah, yeah, when you do remakes, go ahead and tap into the universe, but you don't have to try and tap into the specific storyline that has nope. made that universe popular. You know, not alone. You know, in the in the same vein, it's like, you know, I'm going to bring it up is like Halloween three. It's like so many people disliked it. I loved it just oh, because so it was. Yeah. Yeah, but it's because it was another thing in the universe. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, it, it, but that's a, Halloween 3 is a beast all of in its own. You know, it, it yeah. takes a while for it to grow on you. You know, I remember the first time I watched it, I'm like, I don't really like this movie very much. It's, it's all right. It's just okay. But as I grew older and I started watching it more, I'm like, this actually is a great movie. Like, it is really fun. Like, and it's a standalone. It has nothing to do with Michael Myers. It has nothing to do with the original Halloween, Halloween 2. It does its own thing, and it does it well. I mean, and plus Tom Atkins. That's a badass. Yeah. You know, I'll watch anything Tom Atkins is in. Well, it's because the mustache demands respect. You know, it really does. <laughs> I mean, he, he's been rocking that thing for ages. So, yeah, you know, respect the stash of Tom Atkins. And he's one of the few that can actually, you know, keep, keep that, keep it going. And it's not like, oh, that's an old-fashioned mustache. It's like, no, that's just badass. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's Tom Atkins. Like, in every role he's ever been in, that's the guy that you want to drink scotch with and have a cigar or a cigarette with and just talk about shit. You know, that's Tom Atkins in a nutshell. And that's what he brings oh, to every role. That's just air of cool badassness. 
like Night of the Creeps, you know, I mean, he brings that to that character. You know, it's always going to be Tom Atkins for me. Whenever a movie shows Tom Atkins, I'm in. I don't care what movie yeah. it is. Yeah, same thing with Maniac Cop. You know. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's just playing, he's just playing Tom Atkins. Like, you're not playing a character. You're just playing Tom Atkins. you got a trench coat on, you got a cigar, and you got a mustache. Okay, go act. <laughs> the role of Tom Atkins will be played by Tom Atkins. That's it. I mean, we could call this character by their name, but really it's just Tom Atkins. It's, you know, that's why it's jarring when you watch The Fog and he doesn't have a mustache. You're like, Tom, where's your mustache? Put it on. I don't know how to deal with this right now. You're being Tom Atkins, but there's no mustache. <laughs> You're naked. You put your mustache on. <laughs> I feel so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, but, what else do you got for us, Monkey? Well, lastly, didn't you have a bit of horror news, King? Uh, I got a couple things I want to talk about before we get into the movie. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about is uh, critters. You know that movie about the little furball creature come down from the stage <laughs> and attack a farmhouse? Mm-hmm. Fun little movie that, like, oh, yeah. you know, in my opinion, did a great job of, like, tacking onto the tales of gremlins and making it its own thing. Well, did you know that it was based on the true story? What? It was based on a true story, and the article just got released, and I put it on the Facebook page for Talking Terror, but it was based on a true story that happened in the towns of Kelly and Hopkinsville in Kentucky back in 1955. And this is a, a wild story. So I recommend everybody go check out the full article. So I'm not going to give every detail. Uh, so you might want to read the article, but what happened is in the towns of Kelly and Hopkinsville, which are right next to each other, there was a farmhouse where two families were living at. And one night they saw what appeared to be a UFO kind of falling from the sky and landing in a farm field near their house. And what happened is these little creatures, pointed ears, popped out of this UFO and started attacking the family. So they were taking out shotguns and they were blasting these creatures away, huddling down in the corner of their house, basically defending their farm from these weird alien creatures you know, trying to kill these creatures that seemed unkillable. So at the end of the night, the family rushed to the police station and told the story about these aliens that were attacking them, these little goblin-like creatures. And the police were like, all right, guys, what have you been smoking? And they're like, nothing, I swear to God, like, this happened. Like, you need to go to the farm, and we'll show you. But when they got back to the farm, there was no evidence of any UFO. There was no evidence of any creatures, even though they said that they killed one. But that's what ended up getting turned into critters in the 80s, was this telling of a true story, supposedly, of the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblin case. It's a crazy story, and you should really check out all the details on the article I posted on Facebook. There's plenty of YouTube videos about it. It's a crazy story. That's weird, man. I didn't hear about that one. I missed it on the Talking Terror page. So little goblin aliens coming out and attacking what were they doing? Like in the article, does it say like they were doing spikes like in the movie, or were they using weapons? Or no, they weren't really using weapons. They were just kind of menacing towards these people. Like they were running up to the house and like knocking on the windows. They were running through the field. So of course, you know, there's good old boys 
in Kentucky, they got shotguns and they got guns and weapons. So they're shooting at these aliens and they're seemingly, you know, impervious to pain because they keep shooting at these aliens, but they keep coming at them. And they're like, what the hell are we going to do? We got to huddle down and let's go to the basement and huddle down that of the living dead style and hope that they go away. So at a certain point, they felt like they were safe, and they go to the police station and report this, and they're like, I swear to God, this happened. This happened. It's real. There's aliens. They came down, and the police went out to the farm and found no evidence. So they're like, okay, guys, there's no evidence. Uh, it's a great story, but this really just never happened. So it got put into, like, the unsolved mysteries kind of category. But how crazy is that? Like, you know, that this family fully believed that they were being attacked by aliens. Man, that is so weird. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what got turned into the first Critters movie. Because the screenwriter of the first Critters movie read about that story and researched it, and he turned it into what you get for the first Critters. Aliens crashing down to Earth and attacking this family in a farmhouse. For no apparent reason whatsoever, they just started attacking. But in Critters, obviously, they're little furballs. In the original case, they're like uh, goblins. You know, pointy ears uh, okay. and midgets. So, but it's crazy to think that this is actually a true story in a way. And I wanted to get your take on it. <laughs> no, I think that's awesome, though, that it inspired, you know, to, to, to become one of the great, horror, you know, fun horror movies of the 80s. Okay, I'm looking at the article now. Yeah, and it's just some weird-ass looking goblin things. Right. But, 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 you know, but again, it's like some aliens just wanting to play, you know, ding dong ditch, and um, then they get, you know, blasted to hell with a bunch of shotguns and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, and there's um, if you ever get the time, audience, and uh, monkey yourself, if you go onto YouTube and you type in unsolved mysteries, uh, Kelly Hopkinsville Goblin, there's a, 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 I don't know if it's a fan made thing or this is actually on TV but they have a reenactment of what happened that night. And it's the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen. The acting is so bad, but yet it's so interesting to see because you got these like good old boys and the guy runs the house. He's like, ma, pa, I swear. I saw some aliens in the field. And they're like, Oh, shut up. Man. You don't know shit. He's like, I swear. I'm not making this up. And all of a sudden there's these aliens popping up going, yeah. And they're like, Oh shit. Aliens. That's not very godly. That's not a God's green earth. Like, it's the funniest fucking thing. So look that up on YouTube. You won't be disappointed. Kind of like the um, conspiracy tape that the guy watched in the Men in Black movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like like that. It's just so funny that somebody reenacted this thing, but in the worst possible way with these actors, where it's like, I saw something out there, Paul. He's like, no, you didn't, you idiot. I swear, like it was out there. It was an alien. No, there ain't no aliens out there. That's not the God didn't create aliens. Then all of a sudden, the aliens like, ha ha. And they're like, oh shit, aliens. Get your gun. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Get your gun, Baba Joe. <laughs> it's just hilarious. So if you ever get time to check it out on YouTube, it's, it's uh, the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblin case, Unsolved Mysteries. You won't be disappointed. I think it's only like a 10 minute clip but it is so worth your time to check this thing out. <laughs> cool. Thank you, King. It, it's great. Like I said, it's just it's so amazing to find out that it's like a true story. And I'm like, oh, shit, true story? 
Okay. But, um, so, yeah, that's that one. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about before we get into the movie quickly is Don Mancini, the creator of Child's Play, has been hard at work at creating a Child's Play TV series, uh, a TV series that's going to take place after Cult of Chucky, which is the most recent uh, in the, uh, entry into the series. He's been working with Brad Dorff. Right. Uh, they plan on bringing this. I don't know to what network yet. They just plan on bringing it maybe to Sci-Fi. I think it was the last uh, network I heard. But what's interesting is that MGM wants to cash in on that sweet Chucky money too, and they're fast-tracking a Child's Play remake that they're going to start filming in September, which is only a couple months away. But they're fast-tracking this thing. But what's interesting oh. is that it's going to be a technologically advanced doll kind of like the Terminator comes from the fucking future and attacks a group of kids. So I don't know if it's going to be Chuck the good guy doll or if it's just going to be called Child's Play because it's interesting. MGM technically owns the rights to the title Child's Play, but the other company that Don Mancini works for owns the rights to Chucky. So it's kind of a messy situation. But it looks like MGM is trying to catch in on it real quick. Okay, so so the, we're not talking about a theatrical release at all. We're talking about straight to DVD or network. Oh no, they're looking for theatrical. Oh, okay. No, no, they're they're looking to release this in theaters. MGM is dead set because they want to cash in mm-hmm. because they've seen how successful these direct to DVD movies have been. So they said, "Fuck it, let's do it. You know, let's make our own child's play and see what we can do." But you know, it gets messy where the rights kind of lay. Right. Because they own and, the title Child's Play, but they don't own the character of Chucky. And you're talking about, uh, it's a technically advanced, we're talking about a physical doll, or are we talking about like maybe an app on your phone? No, a physical doll. Oh, uh, okay. A technologically advanced doll that a group of kids have to battle against. So it's not just one kid like Andy <laughs> in the first one. It's a group of kids this time. Okay, so we're gonna have like we're we're gonna have like Chucky versus the Losers Club. <laughs> well, if that's even Chucky at all, I mean that's the interesting thing about it. They might not be able to use the name Chucky or Good Guy Doll. They only have the rights to the name Child's Play. Oh. The rights to everything else is kind of with Don Mancini right now. So it's mm. gonna be interesting how they go about it because they can't really fuck with Chucky and the Good Guy Doll kind of company that Chucky came from. They only have the right. name. So that's kind of what I wanted to get your perspective from that. Do you think that's like a good move by MGM to say, fuck it, let's go. September, we're filming. We're making this Child's Play reboot. <laughs> Meanwhile, Don Mancini's uh, working on a Chucky TV show. I mean, because while on the flip side, like that, that it's awesome that we're getting big studios to be backing horror movies again, at the same time, it's like, uh, you know, I think... Again, it's like I'm going to go back to my old thing of why don't we just let the franchise go and instead how about you spend that money on creating a new horror movie and a new horror character? Absolutely. That's where I'm at. I don't even know if I really want a Chucky TV show. I mean, I know Don Mancini's working on it. I know Brad Dorff's going to be a part of it, but it's, is it really necessary? Because I, I just don't think it is. I think Chucky has kind of gone his way. He has, but at the same time, while you and I have talked about how 
we have certain, you know, we there is definitely a fan following for the newest version of the Joker that has, you know, been showing up in the, D, you know, DC theatrical universe. Those seeing yeah. people who really seem to like that Joker really, really fucking love Chucky right now. And there is actually, it surprised me, there is still a huge fan base for Chucky. Well, there is. I mean, uh, Chucky showed up in Ready Player One. You know, the movie that just came out by Steven Spielberg not that long ago. So Chucky made an appearance in that one. So, um, you know, people are still going to love it. I just, I don't know. I mean, for me, I'm not a huge Child's Play fan. Um, I like the first three. After that, you lost me. Because they went way too campy, way too comedic. And I like oh, the yeah. first three where Chucky isn't so comedic. He's more of a horror villain than a, a punchline. Yeah, well, I remember watching Bride of Chucky at your house. And when we got to the disturbing scenes that happened in that movie, I looked at you and I was like, am I watching what I think I'm watching? And you were like, yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're watching toy <laughs> sex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we watched that one and we also watched Cult of Chucky. So remember, you yeah. came over and you're like, what are you watching? Cult of Chucky, the newest one. And you're like, what the fuck is this? I was like, I know. It's <laughs> like, not very good, but this is the latest version, which sucks because that's not very good. I mean, I, like I said, I'm a fan of the first three, but after that, they just took it into that comedic element, and I don't think that it was necessary. I felt like Chucky worked better as a doll that just wanted to kill. Yeah, you need to yeah. Get all these and like, no, I agree. It's like the the first three were fun, you know, and then after that they just went total camp with it, o- over the top, and just horrible, horrible one-liners all over the place. And I personally felt like it didn't add to the character. It didn't, you know, g- give me a new perspective and be like, oh, you know, he's a well-rounded character and we we should, you know, keep watching him. But no, it's like it was just camp and I can definitely let it go. I'm I'm fine letting this one go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what, like I said, that's what I said at the beginning. I'm okay with them just not making any more Child's Play movies or Chucky movies. Like, it, it was good while it lasted, but, you know, what? It, why? You know, there's no more reason to make any more of these movies. I know there's still a yeah. fan base. I know there's always going to be somebody saying, I want another Chucky movie. That's fine. But the quality is going to diminish. Like, any sequel that keeps going and going and going, the quality is going to diminish over time. And it's not going to be yeah. a good movie anymore. It's just going to become a punchline. Yeah, and like the ghouls, you know, often says, if you're going to keep doing it, take the time to do the writing to actually make the movie decent. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen. It, it gets to a point where it's like it starts with a writer, an idea, and then usually with these things, the writing changes hands so many times that by the time we get a finished product, it is so far from the original idea for the movie to begin with. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and the, um, the movie that came before Cult of Chucky, it was called Curse of Chucky with uh, Brad mm-hmm. Dorff's daughter, Fiona Dorff, playing the victim of that movie. That one I felt like was as close to the original three as you were going to get. You know, Chucky was still having the one-liners, but it wasn't as apparent as it was in Bride and as of Seed. So it was kind of more mm-hmm. seeded in that first trilogy where he was more of a threat. And he was kind of scarier, and he was more violent, and he was just vicious with his murders. Um, and I felt like that was great. I was like, you know what? You know, I, I like Curse of Chucky. I think it's a good film. 
But then they release Colt of Chucky, and they go right back to the, the gags. And they go right back to the one-liners, and they go right back to the humor. And I felt like, well, why did you do that? Like, you had a good thing going with Curse. But then with Colt, you go right back to the humor. And I just felt like they went back. Like, you can go forward with this. Why do you have to go back and make him a funny character again, where it's just, oh, I got nothing but one-liners and gags. It's just it's not necessary, yeah. and I think it brings quality down. Yeah, I don't know. It's like I guess they're just trying to appeal to the modern Chucky fans, I guess. I guess, you know, but I'm a purist. I, I just like that uh, original three, like I said. And then Curse is a good one to check out if you ever have time. I think it's still on Netflix, but um, it's a good one because it's scary. It's bringing Chucky back to where he was from as far as being a scary kind of doll. But, mm. you know, Colt took it right back to the comedy. And now they're making a yeah. TV series based off of Colt. And we saw how that movie ended. I don't really see how you're going to make a TV show based off of the ending of Colt. Because no. they don't really lead it in a way where you could have a, a following of that. So no. And, you know, we'll see. And especially, yeah, and just especially with the ending of Colt, it's like they were just going to go right back to the original, you know, the, the past couple movies that ha- had been, you know, bringing, bringing back the family and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, yay, yay, more annoying dolls in the movie. It's just, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just not a fan of, you know, the Bride of Chucky. I don't like her character. She nope. annoys the hell out of me. I never got how many people love that character of Tiffany. Like, everybody's like, oh, is Tiffany going to be the next one? I'm like, why do you like this character so much? Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a caricature of everything that the series is, and it just, it doesn't work. It didn't work in Bride, it didn't work in Seed, and it definitely didn't work in, in Cult when the character came back. I was like, it just it doesn't work. Like, I don't like the Tiffany character. I don't understand why everybody's so gung-ho about having Jennifer Tilly come back. She just offers nothing. You know, it kind of delineates from what Chucky is. You know, this killer doll that's just out for bloodshed. Yeah, and that, that's what I enjoyed about the first three was just a psycho killer in a doll. You know, it, it was you know, a kind of refreshing take on it where, you know, we're going to sit there and have a murderer just in a brand new kind of thing that you've never seen before to sit there and bring out some stuff to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable in a way that, in my opinion, Jason and Michael couldn't do. Right. You know, and, and make it kind of creepy. Because I know when mm-hmm. I was a kid, you know, the Chucky doll, was like it was scary to me when I was a kid, but it was never so scary where I'm looking out for a doll to pop up off a shelf and started wielding a knife at me and going, I'm going to get you, fucker. Like, I was never that scared. But I could see why people might be and be a little bit nervous because Chucky was so effective in that way, especially in that first film. But I want to go a little bit away from killer dolls to killer people. And I want to talk about the movie we have to discuss tonight, uh, The Strangers Pray at Night from 2018, directed by Johannes Roberts. Uh, It is my pick, like I had said, this movie came out this year. Um, the plot <laughs> revolves around a family, Mike and Cindy, and their kids, Kinsey and Luke. Kinsey has been a bad girl, and she's being taken to reform school by her parents. They kind of want to have one last night as a family together before they drop off Kinsey at this reform school. So they go to a trailer park where their aunt and uncle live, and they decide we're just going to rent out a trailer for the night. We're going to play some cards. We're going to have some laughs, maybe. And then we're going to drop you off at reform school. But it's not what they expected because there is a trio of killers. There is a pinup girl. There's a doll face killer. 
and a man in a mask that want nothing more than to destroy this family element. So I picked this movie because I saw The Strangers, the first film, in 2007, and was a huge fan. I thought this was a, a breath of fresh air for horror. It was atmospheric. It was dark. It was creepy. Like, it just it hit me on so many levels, and it made me afraid to be at home at night by myself because you don't know who's at the other side of the door when somebody comes knocking. Pray at Night basically says, you know what? That first movie happened. It was good. It was great. This is going to be more in line with a typical 80s slasher. We're going to have fun. We're going to put some 80s songs in it. We're going to have some kills. And we're just going to show you a good time. And I couldn't believe how good the sequel was because it ignored everything that happened in the first one and stands alone with Pray at Night. So I, I cannot wait to talk to you about this film. So, Monkey, what do you think about Strangers Pray at Night? All right. Yeah, like the king said, we're covering Strangers Pray at Night straight off the bat. Um, while watching this movie, I learned that I really don't care for horror movies with families in them as the victims. When I say families, I don't mean the I don't mean the weirdos like Adam's family or the psychos like the Sawyers in Texas Chainsaw, but instead like, quote unquote normal families. Like I, I I didn't get it. Like it's one of those things that like it just finally happened where I realized I just don't like these movies with families as the victims. And why is that? Because I don't care about all the damn baggage that you bring into the story before the movie even starts. I, I prefer my horror movies full of random, ordinary people who are put into very extraordinary situations. But right. in this movie, we have our normal family put to a really fucked up situation, and I had a lot of fun with it. Um, yeah, <laughs> all right. You like this one, folks. I like it. That's what we're going. Yeah, while I definitely felt like this movie dragged, like, in the first 30 minutes, um, and and at first I felt like this easily could have been fixed with a couple of characters added to the cast, because you know how I am about small cast movies, um, oh, just yeah. to add to the higher higher body counts, but as the movie progressed, and at, once things got rolling, I think the film did a really good job of keeping you glued to the screen, because while I'm not generally a fan of them, this movie, in my opinion, was awesome with his jump scares. They came out oh, yeah. of nowhere. Like, I literally, like, n- none of the jump scares were predictable jump scares. Like, right. and, I, and I was enjoying all of it. And it's just, you just didn't know when someone was going to pull a Michael Myers and just be fucking somewhere that they just weren't. And, like, in my opinion, the movie was just fun. It is. And uh, the ghoul, uh, he could not be a part of the broadcast tonight. He'll be back next week, uh, but he is not here this week. But he did tell me uh, through text earlier that he also enjoyed the movie a lot, a lot more than he thought he was going to enjoy it, uh, especially because it's a standalone. Like, you do not need to see the first Strangers movie to get into this movie. Um, he liked the family element of it. He loved the soundtrack just as much as I did. Um, but what he also kind of liked and didn't like, which is also what I agreed with him, is that in this movie, they kind of, the family makes decisions that you don't think they should be making. But like I told you, you're watching a classic kind of slasher film. They're going to make stupid decisions. And that's what kind of brought me into this movie, is because they're making decisions that you know they shouldn't be making, but they're doing it because it's a slasher movie. You have to make dumb decisions. Yeah. Um, seriously, this, this is one of those things where it's like, 
the entire family was nothing but stupid. They they had no survival instinct, <laughs> no fighting spirit. No. Like ser- like seriously, no. just pick up a fucking weapon. You know, just pick mm-hmm. up anything as a weapon. Like the whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm constantly scanning the background. It's like that can be used as a weapon. That can be used as a weapon. <laughs> you know, just you know, they were just dumb as hell. And and like these weren't people. These were lemmings that were just running for the cliffside. You know, and I just wanted the whole family to die. Like after, in a way, after yeah, we, I agree. No, I, I wanted the whole family to die. I was, I was rooting for our killers the entire time while watching yeah. this movie. That's what I said. In a way, I agree with you, and we'll get into it. But yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, but but our family that I I love that they were so inconsequential to the writers that they have no last name. <laughs> there's no, nope. there is no, there is no last name given to any of these family members. <laughs> um, you know, and I don't want to break the movie down scene by scene because we don't do that anymore. But there, there are certain things I want to talk about, and it includes the opening with Kim Wilde, oh, yeah. Kids in America. Oh. oh, fuck yeah! What a great way to open up this fucking movie. The truck in this movie is like a character all of its own. Like I felt like the mm-hmm. truck is a character, and it was so good because you hear that engine fucking roaring up the road. Kids in America is playing. They park in the fucking driveway. They're causing, you know, they're fucking with this people in this house. It was such a great way to kind of open up what to expect. Like, this is what we're going to be expecting throughout this movie. These three people, and they just want nothing more than to fuck with people. Banging on doors, appearing and reappearing in different places. It was a great way to kind of kick it off. I didn't know what you thought. Yeah. No, um, I actually specifically wanted to talk about the opening scene just because, like you said, yep. we've got Kim, Kim Wilde playing with Kids in America, uh, one of my favorite versions of that song. And yep. you, you, you got it. You're, you're starting to feel comfortable with, you know, because you're like, oh, Kids in America, all right. You know, let's, <laughs> let's kick this shit off right. It gives you just enough of the song to, you know, start to feel the song, and then it just cuts you off. And yeah. just... And then just straight shot of the street, uh, some green green lighting to just make you feel uncomfortable right off the bat. It's like, fuck, where'd my song go? Because <laughs> you kept wanting no. to hear it, too. Like, even when the truck was, like, just sitting there, and you could hear it, like, yeah, there it is. But what I didn't realize was how kind of creepy the intro to that song is, Kids in America, where it kind of has that weird kind of jarring piano at the beginning. And I'm like, did mm-hmm. they create this for the movie or is this real? And I'm like, no shit, that's real. Like, that was actually no, no. in the beginning, Kids in America. Yeah, well, yeah, that that's that that's the original version that uh, came out from her. There's, like yeah. I said, other versions of the song, and yeah, it, not many people have actually heard her version of the song because it's been redone so many times. Well, yeah, and we also get another Kim Wilde song which happens to play during a favorite scene of mine in the movie, and we'll get to it. Because uh, I yeah. definitely want to talk about that scene. It's, it's perfect. <laughs> no, but, um, but um, I just... No. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry, King. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, so we get introduced to, you know, some of our killers, the whole knocking on the door thing, which ends up fucking with me throughout the entire movie, like that they can just make <laughs> yeah. the knock scary as yeah. fuck. Um, yep, this is how loud it is. And, yeah, and you know we get introduced to Dollface, and the whole scene of what happens, you know, of getting into the house, and then just 
laying down next to who we're going to find oh, out is Uncle man. Mark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the guy's fast asleep, and then she just lays down next to him. And the poor fucking dog. <laughs> it's crying. It's like it's not happy, but it's not attacking. So obviously he's like watch, an older dog. Worst watchdog ever. Yeah, but I took it as it's an older dog, so it's probably like done with the whole watchdog thing. Now it's just kind of laying down. So it's it's whining. It's obviously scared, but it's not going to try to attack anybody. Um, and then she lays down, and you just see that mask of doll face, and you go, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, what's going to happen? But they don't show you anything, and I love the fact that they don't show you what happened. They just cut. And it's like, all right, so what? Obviously, they're dead. <laughs> obviously, these people did not uh, do too well. Um, and I know, like you had said about families in horror movies, I actually kind of like the dynamic in this family. It actually really worked for me. Uh, Mike and Cindy uh, taking their daughter, Kinsey, to a boarding school. The only thing I didn't really like is that you never really find out why Kinsey is so bad that she has to go to a boarding school. Like, she, she skipped a couple of classes. You know, she, you know, she's been smoking. And the, the one thing I do love is that she doesn't smoke cigarettes, right? She doesn't inhale. She just blows <laughs> the smoke out. And her brother, Luke, is like, you know, you're supposed to inhale those, right? And she's like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Like, but, I just, but it's just, that's her way of being badass. Yeah, and we, we never get all that, but, we, but that's what I'm getting at, though, is we have all that baggage of her. And, you know, the whole story is starting because she, she has to go to boarding school. And they're taking yeah. her to boarding school that they that they can't afford, you know, because nope. apparently she's done. Apparently she's, yeah. Apparently she's done a bunch of shit that, you know, causes them to where they can't handle it anymore or whatever, you know. But you got all this crap hanging over, and it's like, all right, well, are you gonna at least explain the baggage, or are you just gonna keep it hanging there, you know? And no, they don't give you anything. They just sit there and tell you that shit's fucked up, and they gotta ship her off to boarding school. Yeah, and they, they at least want to have, like, one last night together as a family and just try to be a family together. You know, it's not a perfect situation. You know, the parents try to explain to her why they're doing it. She doesn't get it. She's like, everybody else does the same thing I do, and they're fine. Why do you have to shit me off? And, they're, you know, they're just, yeah. I'm scared for you. We're worried for you, and that's why we want to do this. Um, and that's why we're going to go to this trailer park because your aunt and uncle live there. But what I love is that in typical slasher fashion, they explain why the place is vacated. Because after Labor Day, and there's nobody here. Thank you mm-hmm. so much, movie. <laughs> yeah, I love the fact that they had that drop line in there. Why is this place yeah. so empty? Oh, it's after Labor Day. Nobody's here. Okay, I'm right. like I like this. Because they explain to you why there's <laughs> nobody there. Whereas so many movies yeah. would try to explain it. No, drop line. Nobody here. It's after Labor Day. Yeah. We're just going to go into this trailer. <laughs> yeah, but we have the character Kinsey who's like, you know, annoying as fuck, full of melodrama. With a perfect Ramones t-shirt on. Yeah, and it's just, in my opinion, it's like, you know, a lot of people would have found this annoying as fuck, and I did find it annoying as fuck, except if she had just been a little bit younger, in my opinion, she would have been pulling off mm. a perfect 13-year-old girl. Yes. Like, That's what perfect. I thought she was trying to play at. Yeah, it's just, you know, I don't know if maybe she was written to be that age, but unfortunately, you know, as always, because it's a horror movie, you know, they always cast older. <laughs> yes, <laughs> of course. But she did look age-appropriate. Like, she did look like a teenager. Yeah, it's not like she's a oh, 30-year-old yeah, yeah. playing a 17-year-old. 
yeah, at least yeah, at least she was an actual teenager, you know. But yeah, it's like for all the annoying shit that she did and whatnot, and I was like, yeah, I can be, I can remember being exactly that bitch and just that much of a douche, <laughs> yep. you know, to my parents very easily. Oh yeah, and for, you know, and for blowing up for no fucking reason at all, you know, because that's what teenagers do. <laughs> Well, and that's also why I love the banter back and forth between her and Luke, her brother, you know, where they kind of have this back and forth where, like, you know, it's like, do they hate each other? I don't think, I don't really get that feeling that they hated each other. I just think it was sibling rivalry. You know, it's Luke is, like, a good kid. He plays baseball. He's going to be leaving for college soon. The parents love him. You know, and Kinsey is, like, the black sheep, where it's like, yeah, I listen to the Ramones, and I fake smoke cigarettes. That's why they don't like me. <laughs> You know. And I and I skip class and hang out with my friends and whatnot. You know. <laughs> you so, know. Yeah. You know. So so we got Cindy, um, the mom, who's the hot chick from Mad Men. In case you guys haven't seen, seen Hendrix, man. Oh Such yeah. A milk. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. And well, I, I don't know about you. And well, I liked looking at her, but I don't know about you, King. But it seemed like with her acting, though, I, I just never felt like she was one hundred percent there in the movie. Like, something yeah. made me feel like yeah. she was just there for a paycheck. She didn't – her acting didn't strike me as she was invested in the story. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I felt like the father, Mike uh, – I don't know his uh-huh. actual name. I just know the character name of Mike. He seemed like he was there. Like, he seemed like he was invested in the character. Like, he felt like he was yeah. playing a father figure, you know, where oh, he's trying to keep his family together. He's joking with him. I love when uh, Kinsey calls Rook a queef, and he goes, what's a queef? Like, seriously, guys, what's a queef? <laughs> like, nobody answers yeah. it. Nobody tells them what yeah. it is. And it's like, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. But I, I attached myself to Mike in a lot of ways because he was a guy trying to keep his family together. Like, this is unfortunately something we need to do. We need to ship you off to boarding school. It's, it's not that we don't love you. It's because we think that this is going to help you. And this is going to mold you right. into a better person. And she's like, fuck you guys. Like, I just, you know you guys are the worst and I hate you and this is bullshit, but they're really just trying to do the best for her. And that's why I like Mm -hmm. the family dynamics. Like they're trying to go to the trailer park. They're having one last night. They want to play cards. They just want to relax. And she's like, fuck you guys. I'm going to go for a walk. It's like, well, that's, you know, all right, fine. You know, go be by yourself. And And I'm going to keep my cigarettes with me. (laughs) Yeah. I'll leave the phone. And that's, that's another thing that we'll get to. I love, the cell phone element in this movie because in modern horror movies, everybody has a cell phone, you know, so mm-hmm. we'll call for help if something happens. I love in this movie, they take it the fuck out. It's like, we're just going to smash these cell phones so you can't call for help. There is no way you're going to call for help, and all the landlines are cut, so good luck finding help. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that they did that because in every movie no. you see in modern horror movies, everybody's got a cell phone, so you've got to find a way to get it out. And I thought they did it or, right in this movie. I don't know what you think. No, you're you're right because also you know like the ghoul likes to point out is you know that a lot of time in modern horror movies they forget the whole cell phone thing you know and it's like how come you don't just pull out your phone for help you know this time they they you know write it and they cover it and they and they do a really good job in my opinion of how they write it in there with like you said oh, yeah. you've got the you know you you have Cindy and Mike you know grasping at straws trying to have you know, one fun family night left at the trailer. You know, so right. um, Cindy and Mike pull out a bunch of cards and say, well, let's just get together for a card game, 
you know, let's just have some time without your cell phone. Would you guys just please take your cell phones and just put them off to the side? And, you know, um, Luke agrees, took his, you know, and then Mike begs Kimsey to, you know, just give up her phone just for a minute so they can just hang out as a family. You know, so Kinsey reluctantly gives it and then runs outside. You know, so they have all the yeah, so they have all the cigarette. I mean, so they have all the the mobile phones there gathered together in the trailer. Right, and as she yeah, yeah, which, and yeah. no, and I was gonna say it was just well written that they you know had the foresight to put that in there. You know, just gather up all the shit and put it together, which we'll get to later. <laughs> We will, and but like I said, they played it so well, and that's why I said when we get mm-hmm. to it in a little while, that's what I want to talk about is how well they played that, the whole cell phone aspect. Because when Kenzie runs out and they send look after her, you know, he kind of explains to her that it, it's not so bad. You know, you need to find your own way. You need to find who you are as a person. Yes, I'm going to college in a year, but you're still going to be okay. They're trying to do the best that they can by you. You can't hate them too much. Um, so you kind of get that little kind of thing with, between them both where it's, she has an understanding with him. Um, and when they get to the trailer, she, uh, they go inside this trailer with the door open, and she finds the bottle <laughs> of bourbon, whatever it is, and she's like, hey. He's like, all right, one shot. She goes, three? And he goes, let's just do two. <laughs> so Luke is still in it. Like Luke likes to party a little bit. Like you don't get that at first, but when he's with Kinsey, it's like, all right, fine, let's fuck it. Let's just do a couple shots and hang out. <laughs> but this is where we get our first kind of taste of what's to come with the strangers. Um, oh where yeah. They hear a banging noise in the trailer. It turns out to be the dog, but yet there are two fucked up bodies in his bedroom. And I wanted to get your reaction <laughs> on the reveal when they pull the sheet off and you see what the strangers did to this couple that we saw at the beginning of the movie. Dude, you know, I love practical. Oh yeah. And oh, I knew you were going to like and, it. Oh man, the reveal It's just, I, I like it because they actually go into it about talking about the smell as they're getting further mm-hmm. and further into the room. Uh, they open up the, cause they're trying to get some light in there because there's no light in this trailer. I mean, there's no power at all. Uh, open nope. up the curtains and it. Yeah, in in blood is just written several times on the window. Hello. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as they turn around, they just see this thing. It looks like a pillar, almost covered in a bloody sheet. And as they pull the sheet off, <laughs> there we get to see <clears throat> Uncle Ma- Marv and Aunt Cheryl tied together and just mutilated, Jaw- jaws ripped open. Uh, oh, yeah. skin pull, pulled away up. from the skull. Oh, it, yeah. was, it was it was beautiful. <laughs> I knew you were going to like it. I was like, he is going to love this fucking reveal. Because they, <laughs> they show it when Kinsey and Luke first see it. They show you a little bit. They're like, okay, here's a little taste. <clears throat> but then they go back when Mike and Luke go back to the trailer. Then they show you fully that the uncle's jaw has been completely, like, almost torn all the way off. You know, and that's how he's been fucking mutilated by the strangers. But this is also yeah, yeah. what the ghoul has brought up, and this is what I wanted to bring up to you, Monkey, is mm-hmm. the idea of separation. And this is what I agreed with the ghoul, <clears throat> as we talked about in the beginning of the episode, is that there is a divide because the Mike and Luke, as the men, 
as the strong men are going to go off and investigate this trailer oh, yeah. and see what's going on. And the girls, you better stay at the trailer. Lock yourselves in, girls, because we're men. And we have to go investigate this. So, <laughs> yes, at, like the Gore pointed out, he said as a, as a father, he would want to keep his family together during this time. Like he wouldn't want anybody to go off on their own. He'd want to keep everybody together. But you're watching a slasher movie. They're not going to be making the best decisions. So, of course, Mike and Luke have to go off, and Kinsey and Cindy have to go off and stay in the trailer, which leads to, you know, destruction on all ends. Yes. But it has yes. to happen. And I don't yes, know what you thought. They are, because they are men, they're manly men, but... No, and uh, I agree 100% with the ghoul. And uh, also, again, just survival instinct. Keep the group together. You don't split up. It never works in Scooby-Doo. What the fuck makes you think it's going to work here? <laughs> it's just, yeah, no. Especially when you're talking about murder. It's not like you're saying, I saw a raccoon, and it's like, okay, right. we girls go back to the trailer, and we'll take care of the raccoon in the trash can. We're talking about some dead bodies, and we're talking about... Uh, Uncle Marvin, Aunt Cheryl, dead body. We're talking about dead right. family now. So it's like, all right, let's let's exactly. all go check this out yeah. together and figure something out. All right. And, but uh, at, at the yeah, at the same time, it worked for me because it's a slasher movie. So obviously you're going to separate, just like in an 80s slasher movie, you're going to break off in the groups. Uh, but when Kinsey and Cindy go back into the trailer, you know they lock the door. They're like, okay, you know we got to figure out a way to get out of here. And they discover that their phones are shattered to shit. Like, every oh, yeah. phone that they have has been broken. And but, Cindy finds the one, one that she can kind of get a signal off of, but not really. Yep. And, yeah, it leads to Dollface showing up with the fucking knife. And I'm like, oh, yes. Yes, this is going to be awesome. Bring it on. What is Dollface going to do? You know, Kinsey's terrified, so they go run into the bathroom. And it, it leads to the first death, which uh, the ghoul had said it's total brutality. And I agree. It is. Because you have Cindy trying to get her daughter out of this trailer through the hole in the ceiling. And she can't get out herself because the dollface killer is already on her and stabbing her to death while Kinsey screams mommy. And I loved it. It was so dark and so just vicious. I thought it was just a great way to kind of kick it off with these killers. I, I agree, but just because as um, <clears throat> Dollface is pushing them, if you will, or leading them towards the bathroom. Into the bathroom, yeah, she's uh, leading them. Yeah, yeah. But, no, but I, I also love how she she's playing with the knife, the mom is scrambling for a, a knife in the drawers, you know, and, she, you know... <laughs> Doll, doll face just waves and points at the knife, <laughs> yep. and yep. and right and I really <laughs> yeah, and I love how they mess with the sounds in this of making the sounds so scary in this movie because as they're going back towards the, the knife washing <clears throat> the bathroom, no, then she stabs the knife into the counter and it's just the scariest mm. fucking sound. It's just I was like, yep. man, the, the sound people in this movie like definitely deserve some shit. <laughs> yeah. All right, they had um. To. Yeah, yeah, and and while the scene was bloody as hell in the bathroom of just you know scrambling and trying to get Kinsey out of the skylight, and and Cindy taking it from behind, um, <laughs> yeah, but, 
because because apparently Mike likes to do that a lot. That's all he kept oh, talking yeah, about. He every, every, yeah, he is all about that. <laughs> but, 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 no, it's just, again, as a parent, though, in this situation, I will be grabbing at anything to use as a weapon. Yeah. It's like, I, I would, again, I was looking in the background. There there was the curtain rod right there. There was the yeah. ba- the, the, the the rod for the towel rack. Fuck, man, take, take the top off the toilet and use that fucking ceramic lid and beat the shit out of her. You know, it's oh, yeah. just, yep. you know, seriously, it's like I would have been grabbing at anything to beat the hell out of anything that tries and comes through that door. But, you know, yeah. we get, yeah. you know, and, and we get the sound of her walking away. And mm-hmm. I was expecting some shit of Cindy doing the stupid thing of putting her head up against the door. And then, she, you know, she gets, you know, a knife through the door or something like that. You know, again, yeah, no, I surprised. No, this is where I started to enjoy the movie because it started to do things out of the norm because we normally would have gotten the knife through the door. No, instead, oh, yes, she yep, comes ba- yep. instead she comes back like with a fucking lawn statue or something like that and just starts beating the shit out of the door, yep. you know, and br- breaking mm-hmm. it down, you know. And yeah, so, you know, Sam will get Kinsey out. What? But what I liked about the scene is that when Dollface is on top of, of Cindy, and she's got the knife, and she starts stabbing Cindy. You have Kinsey screaming "Mommy" and starting to cry, because all throughout this entire twenty-five, thirty-minute segment before the killing starts to happen, Kinsey's like "Fuck you, mom. I don't care about you. Whatever. Fuck you." Mm-hmm. You know. But in that moment, she's terrified because she's seeing her mom get killed, and Absolutely. she has that moment where she screams "Mommy," and it's so effective. And then they have the scene afterwards where you see her just face down in the sink of this bathroom. Mm-hmm. She's dead. She's not coming back. Um, it, it was just, it was a great way to do it. And when Mike and Luke come back to the trailer and they see that damage has been done, the bathroom door has been knocked to shit. I loved Mike's reaction to seeing his wife dead. You know, he doesn't sit there for five minutes, cradling her body going, Oh my God, she's dead. No, he says, Oh shit, she's dead. Luke, we have to find your sister. Like, we can't stop now. Like, you know, your mom's dead. We don't have time to mourn. We have to find your sister. We have to figure out what the fuck we're going to do because, you know, somebody's out there killing us. And I like yeah. the way that he reacted. Rather than just sit there and mourn, no, he's back at it. He's like, listen, we've got to find your sister. Mm. Like, we can't do anything for your mother. We have to go. Yeah, it, and because uh, <clears throat> Luke tries to run into the bathroom and he grabs him. He's like, no, no. You know, yeah. what's going on? He's like, she's gone. You know, but, yeah. but we have to keep moving. We've got to keep going, you know. And it's just, you know, he's like, you got to stay strong. We've got to find your sister, you know. And I enjoy that, like you said, I, I agree with you 100%. In fact, me personally, again, my survival instinct is like, <laughs> again, would have been like, he's taking way too long and not, and not keeping his eyes moving around looking for right. somebody. You know, <laughs> but yeah, no, but the fact that he was like, look, we can't do that. We have to move on. We've got to find your sister. Cause who knows what the fuck is going on up there? No, no, he's, he's ready to go. Like, he's like, we're done. We can't, we can't stop. We have to go. You know, there's nothing we could do for her right now. We have to find your sister. And that's why when they get into the van and they're screaming for Kenzie and looking for her, I love the fucking man in the mask. He just shows up in the middle of the road and throws a fucking cinder block at the car. That causes them to crash into that trailer park, uh, the trailer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Fuck yes. Like, it's like, yes. I look at this fucking guy. Like, he comes out of nowhere and throws his cinder block at the car, which causes him to crash. And, and uh, Monkey, I got to tell you, this is my favorite fucking scene in the movie, and I'm so excited to talk about it. And I, I, I will get your reaction after I talk about it because I want to get your reaction. But Go ahead. Yeah, Mike, who has a, a piece of wood through his stomach, he's struggling to get out. He doesn't know if he's going to be able to get out. So he tells Luke to grab the gun that they found earlier and go find your sister. And he knows he's dying. Like, he knows he's probably not going to be able to get out of this. So he tells his son he's proud of him. And I was like, wow, that is, it's just, it it stays with you. The fact that he says, I'm proud of you, go find your sister. And Luke is like, no, it's going to be fine. Like, you know, I'm going to get help and I'm going to call the cops and we're going to get, you know, hospital and it's going to be fine. He's like, no, find your sister. You know, that's it. You know, because he's probably thinking he's going to bleed out at this point. He's not going to be able to get out of this thing. And I love when Luke leaves, you see the man in the mask standing off in the distance. And when I first saw this movie, I'm like, all right, he's going to let the guy go. He knows he's fucked. He's going to let him bleed out. That is not what fucking happens. The man in the mask is not done with Mike. He gets into the passenger side seat of this truck, and he puts on fucking music, which is Kim Wilde's Cambodia, and he sits back for a second. And it's like he's just vibing with this fucking music. He's like, oh, fuck yeah, Kim Wilde, Cambodia. Mm, love this fucking song. And Mike is begging for his life. And he's like, you don't have to do this. You could just let us go. You could just stop right now. What are you doing? And then the man in the mask pulls out an ice pick or an awl, you know, if you know what an awl is. I, you know, I, oh, yeah. I consider it as it's an ice pick. And he stares at Mike while fucking Cambodia is playing. And then just fucking sticks it into his throat. But what I really appreciate about the scene is that the man in the mask is staring at this guy dying. And you can see his eyes darting back and forth, like looking at this guy dying. And then he pulls back the all covered in blood, wipes it on his fucking pants, and then fucking leaves. So, Monkey, what do you think about the scene? It was my favorite scene in the movie. Try. Well... Um, again, with the scene, Mike knows he's dying. He's in there. And it's like, if I was stuck in that same situation, I would probably be reacting the way he is, where I know I'm fucked and shit like that. I'm still going to try and get out if I can. But I also liked how every once in a while he was laughing. Oh, yeah. Yep. Because he knew he was fucked. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I know I, I would be laughing, you know, I would be... Because you can't believe in your situation. Yeah, and it's just yeah, and I'm just be in the back and forth between scrambling and just laughing at the situation because it's like, man, I am fucked. Okay. (laughs) So no, so I I got the acting on Mike's part there. Like I enjoyed it. I like I thought that was very believable. You know. Yeah. And then we have the man in the mask show up, taking his time, showing (laughs) up. Getting the music just right because he even changes the channels a couple times till they find he something does. he likes. A couple times. Yeah, then he leans <laughs> his head back a little bit. And I love the fact that he leans his head back, like, yep, this is my jam. <laughs> you yeah. know? But so while, while he's but while he's getting in and stuff like that, instead of screaming and begging for help and shit like that, I'm sorry. Again, it's like 
because we're in a slasher movie, we get the, scry- the crying and the screaming and shit like that from Mike. Instead, I would have been punching the fuck out of this guy. Like, even though oh, I'm yeah. dying and whatnot, I'd, I would still be punching the shit out of this dude. <laughs> but well, it probably that's wouldn't not have what done we get. Like, you could punch him, but you're fucked. Like, you know, you got this piece of wood through your chest. Yes, but you I would still do it. He's going to overpower you. Yes, but I would still do it because I know that after he's done with me, he'd be going after my kid. Mm-hmm. So, so I would, you know, but no, we get the crying and screaming and whatnot. But yeah, you know, and we have the man in the mask taking his time, look, looking at the tool that he's getting ready to use, making sure Mike sees the tool he's getting ready to use. You know, <laughs> making yeah. sure Mike understands what's getting <laughs> yeah. ready to happen. Yeah. And and while I enjoyed the whole death scene and stuff, I was expecting a little bit more practical. I was expecting a little bit of torture. You know, just because yeah. we saw what they did, to, to, we saw what they did to Uncle Marv, and I was expecting oh, yeah. to start seeing something here, like you know, start with an eyeball and then, you know, take something else and just have some fun with it, you know. And seriously, it's like while it was fun, I I did feel a little cheated in this scene because okay, I was sure. hoping I, I was hoping for more, but at the same time, I did have fun with the scene. <laughs> It makes you listen to that fucking song Cambodia by Kim Wilde in a whole fucking new light, though. <laughs> oh, I yeah. cannot listen to that song anymore and not think about The Strangers Parade. Like, I've heard the song before yeah. the movie, and I'm like, this is a good one. But now all I can think about is that car scene. Like, just his eyes darting back and forth when he stabs him in the throat. Like, he's <laughs> studying his work. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you told me before, King, before the show, before we were going to go to the show, this movie has an awesome soundtrack, and it does. It has a very retro '80s, like Guardians of the Galaxy kind of soundtrack. But yeah, I'm I'm never going to hear Cambodia the same way ever again. <laughs> all all no. I'm going to think yeah. of is, is is a blue dashboard. You know? <laughs> yep. Yeah. You know, kids in America and Cambodia and air supply, which we'll get into in a little bit. You hear these songs, and you're like, yeah, that's Strangers too. You know, because they did it in such a great way. Um, but after after Mike has been taken care of by the Man in the Mask, you know, there's still Kinsey and Luke to take care of. So yep. these killers are still around. And I love the scene where, again, the, the pickup truck is like a character in this movie because it keeps showing up with the Man in the Mask driving it. And Kinsey is stuck in these kind of... I don't know how you would describe it, like pipes. I guess that would be like yeah. a sewer system. Uh, I, I didn't think it was sewer system because I thought this was near the playground, and a lot of times in older playgrounds they would use, um, you know, just for right. shit for kids to climb in, they, they would put pieces of uh, drain, you know, giant drain pipes in there just for the kids to climb through and climb on. Yeah, I couldn't figure out what they were there for, but like you said, you're probably right. Like it was probably just for kids to kind of play around in. But I love the fact that you have this, again, another 80s song playing while the man of the mats is stalking Kinsey through these pipes. And she's sitting there and just saying, why don't you just leave us alone? And that's when Pinup shows up and goes, we've only just begun. Fuck yeah. Great jump scare. <laughs> Working the first time. Because she just pops out of nowhere and she's like, we've only just begun. And I'm like, oh shit. Man, that, 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 one, that, one re- that one really got me. <laughs> Did it? Yeah, see, I'm glad. That is such a good jump scare because it comes out of fucking nowhere. Like, you see the headlights, 
you know, obviously the man in the mask doesn't know where she is, but pinup girl does. She's in these, you know, these tubes and chases her away. Um, uh, so it, it worked for me. Uh, the next set piece I want to talk about is the pool scene. After Kinsey's been injured <laughs> by Dollface, uh, they decide to run to, uh, Luke decides to run to the pool house because he's going to try to call the police. He's going to try to figure out um, something. Hold on. You're, you're, ahead, you're, oh, oh, okay. We're, we're skipping around. Okay. Because like I said, you know, like I said, Kinsey, uh, gets involved with the Dollface killer and she gets stabbed. And there's a scene with Luke and Kinsey where they kind of reconcile about growing up and what it means to be brother and sister. Um, and it works in a way because the man in the mask comes back and destroys the trailer that they're in. But the set piece I wanted to talk about was the pool scene because it's another scene that I fucking love because it's so oh, too. This, this, this was my favorite scene art. too. So there you go. So, Monkey, I'm going to let you take this one because I know that you just said that it is. So why don't you take us to this scene at the, the pool in this uh, show park? Well, it's just, uh, again, uh, we have all this stuff. He, Luke is scrambling for help. He goes to the main office, find out that this office is fucking huge because it's no tied to. Yeah, apparently they're like, you know, if you scramble out the back, there's a fucking sauna. There's a golf course. There's this big ass Olympic sized pool, you know. It's got a slush puppy machine. Yeah, it's got a slush puppy machine. <laughs> but um, yeah, he comes out and it's just you know you have total eclipse of the heart playing, and it's lit up. It just looks so perfect. It's like I I feel like I'm on a you know bad date in a cheesy eighties movie. Ooh, or, <laughs> yeah. or more, more more like that amusement park that was in the Karate Kid movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> You know, but that's how I was feeling in that. But it's just, you know, and we have Luke trying to be careful. He's got a golf club. And, you know, this is where I was a little let down because Pinup just comes running up behind him. Like, yes. loud, yeah. as, loud as shit, you know, for all, because for all of the cat and mouse stuff that they have been doing in this movie, and I was loving the way that, yeah. Yeah. You know, but he, you know, beats the shit out of her with the golf club. He's fucking brain. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, and of course he's got to take his time, try and take off the mask, and then, nope, she's not dead. But he scrambles, grabs the knife, and just butchers the fuck out of pinup. You know, and I was like, oh, I wanted to see more of her. I actually liked her. She she was the only one that had line. <laughs> <laughs> well, so far, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> you know, that there are more lines from the strangers. But what I yeah. what I did like before you get into the, the pool scene fully is the fact that she does rush at him and he brains her with a golf club. But when he stabs her, like that's like I felt like that was the most honest reaction of somebody stabbing somebody to death. Like it's not like ah stab stab stab. It's like fuck I'm stabbing somebody to death. Like I, I you know I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just stabbing. Like it just you know he looked like he didn't want to do it, but he had to. And that's what I kind of appreciated that character in that scene. Yeah, and and when he's done, he's just horrified. You know, he, he's he's looking yeah. at the knife, he's looking at his hand, you know, he's looking at the body, and yeah, he can't process what he just did. Yeah, tell me about <laughs> the fucking man in the mask when he appears. Because I fucking <laughs> love his appearance, but the fucking axe dragging on the no, concrete. Yeah, it's, I, was, I was actually going to say, you know, that exact shot, you know, of him dragging on the concrete, the sound that it's going on, Again, the sound people did an awesome job in this movie. But, yeah, 
<laughs> and Luke starts talking shit because <laughs> he's got a book I tonight. carry one of yours. Dude. How's that fucking feel? How's that fucking feel? <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> man in the mask starts swinging his axe, you know, I guess because Luke does sports or whatever. He's dodging it like a motherfucker until, for some reason, the man in the mask trips over one of the lawn chairs that are laying around the pool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, and then Luke ends up in the pool instead of just straight up stabbing the dude while he was fucked up, you know. And then for some reason, Luke decides to take the tangle into the pool. Like, I don't know. Like, if he, It worked if, if, on if, so many levels. I love the fact <laughs> that they had that one shot that was descending into the fucking water. And you hear the muffled sounds of the total clips of the heart while they're fighting underneath the water for the nice. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, because, uh, yeah, as it's going down, it's, it's getting muffled. They're tangling under the water. They're fighting for the knife. <clears throat> and I don't know why, again, Luke just doesn't swim to the other side and jump out of the pool. Instead, he swims to the shallow end and tries to, you know, <laughs> run in pool water. And we all know how that works. You know, all of a sudden, you're fucking slow as shit. So the man in the mask just comes up and just fucking guts him from behind. Oh, well, that's the one thing that you missed, Monkey, though, is that when they were fighting underneath the water, the knife dropped, and it fell to the mm-hmm. bottom of the pool, so the man in the mask picked it up. So Luke is trying to escape to the shallow end, and he's trying to run from the shallow end to the other end of the pool, but the man in the mask has a knife. Like, he has it back. So that's when he starts stabbing at Luke in the back, and you're like, oh, yeah. shit, okay, this guy's fucked. No, and I, and I love it because you, you see him go in there and you see him twist with enthusiasm with the oh, blade yeah. in his back. Like, oh, and just this pretty-ass, you know, puddle of blood all over the place, and he just leaves him there. The man oh, in the mask just leaves I love the fact that he just walks mm-hmm. away. He's like, yep, he's done. <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. And yeah. then... And, and while, it, like, I'm sure it was, some people might have thought it was maybe dragged out, I really enjoyed that they took their time and we get to, oh, yeah. and, you know, watch Luke struggle in the water. And, yeah, like you said, the camera is bobbing with the body of Luke and it's going up and down, in and out of the water, and we're getting, you know, hearing the music fine, we're hearing it muffled, hearing it fine. Like, I really liked that. It, it really added to that mm-hmm. whole scene, in my opinion. Yeah. You yeah, know. and you think that he's going to bleed out. Like, he's just going to die in his pool. But Kinsey actually ran back and found him and brought him back into the pool house. Like, she dragged him out of the water, and she said, okay, I'm going to finish this shit. Like, we're going to get help. We're going to be okay. Just sit here for a little while, and we'll figure it out. And it's, it's Kinsey kind of trying to take over and help her brother. Um, and it's, it's, you know, her kind of – her defense instincts have kind of stuck in, which we see yeah. – as the movie concludes, that she has become a badass. That's not afraid <laughs> to, you know, drop some blood. I don't know how she had the strength to pull him out, but hey, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I, I didn't. I didn't know either. Especially because he was he was coughing up blood, and he was coughing up blood, and he was floating in the water. I'm like, this guy's dead. Like, you know, there's no. He's internally bleeding. Like, there's no way he's gonna make it. But she still manages to drag him out of the pool and put him into the pool house. So she could, you know, yeah. get back at these people. And one thing I've enjoyed about all, all of this stuff that's going on with our 
three killers that are going around is they've got this weird sense of honor where they're not going to use guns or anything like that. They they are using hand weapons. The, the, uh, it, oh, yeah. It's just the three. It's just the three of them with hand weapons and the truck. Yeah, you know, well, but they don't need to use guns. Yeah, yeah, and they're taking their time. They're doing this cat and mouse stuff, and they're having a really fun time doing it. And <laughs> yeah, they're enjoying what they're doing you know, mm-hmm. because they like mm-hmm. what they do, and you get that. Um, what I really liked is when Kinsey puts uh, Luke into the pool house. She goes to run away and try to find help of, of some kind. She doesn't know how. You have the cop pull up in his car. And he's like, oh, shit, what's going on? You know, why don't you talk to me a little bit? You know, what, what, what do you think? She's like, oh, there's people, there's people. And he's like, all right, why don't you just talk to me? And the fucking dollface killer comes out of nowhere and slices his fucking throat. I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> like, she's not done. Like, you know, she's killing the cop. Like, oh, just when you thought you were safe, the dollface killer comes out of nowhere and slices the cop's throat. I'm like, all right, I'm so into this fucking movie. Like, I was just, you know, they're not giving up. <laughs> Um, but you get um, a reference to Scream. At least I thought I got the reference from Scream when she dives into the cop car and she's looking for the keys and the dollface killer is waving the keys in front of the window going, yeah, I got the keys. So <laughs> you're not going anywhere without him. So hmm, that sucks for you. But hmm. Kinsey figures out how to get the shotgun out of the block. And amazingly, <laughs> like I said, when – the, the pinup girl dies. You're like, oh, shit. Like, they killed one of the killers. Like, this is fucking crazy. But Kinsey gets the shotgun off and blows the, the, pinup, uh, the doll face girl away. And I'm like, okay. All right. <laughs> they're, they're killing another one. They're, they're killing another one of the killers. And I love when it, she takes would... the mask off the girl. And she's like, uh-huh. why the fuck are you doing this? And she goes, why not? Like, yeah, oh, whoa. Okay. <laughs> yep. Like, I love that they don't have a motive. It's just, why not? Yeah, it, I, I agree. It's like, because I was expecting, like, some kind of story or something like that, just straight up. Nope. Yeah, you know, but no, the answer is why not? I was like, oh, okay, you got me. Yeah. Let's, keep, let's, let's keep this rolling. <laughs> yep. And she's not wasting any time, pops another fucking round, and kills uh, Dollface. Um, right in the head. And then she gets into the cop car. And you're like, all right, she's going to get away. She's got the keys. She's going to get away. Nope. Fucking, there's Ooh. a man in the mask in that fucking truck ramming right into the back of her. And I love it when he pulls up next to her, and he just has his stare off with her. All right, so you killed off the doll face, and, you know, pinup's dead. I'm not dead. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> let's go, bitch. But again, she and had the shotgun right there. <laughs> Why didn't she just fucking shoot him? <laughs> Yeah, you would think she would, but instead she's like, why don't you want to work, car? I'm like, yeah, well, it's completely fucking damaged. Like, that car is not going to run. Oh, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. no. No, 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 no. On the flip side, though, the car got hit from behind. The front was perfectly fine. That bitch should have turned over. All right? You think so? Yeah, see, I didn't know yes. if it was going to turn over because I thought that that car was fucked up. Like, yeah. At least no, the it's... axles had to be fucked up on the back. Yeah, but like, still, you, like, <laughs> two, yeah. two wheels are better than none. <laughs> well, I didn't think that car was going to run at all. I was like, that car is fucked up. He's not going to be able to get out. But this is mm. where the man in the mask, I feel like he's just going out for revenge at this point. Like He knows that the doll face killer is dead. He knows that the pin-up uh, pin killer is dead. 
he's going for revenge, so he's slamming this fucking car, which causes the truck to just cause gas to come out. Like, he's not thinking logically anymore. He's just thinking about fucking total annihilation. Oh, yeah. Thank God, Kinsey doesn't fucking really smoke, but she's got a lighter. And I love her reaction when she lights up the fucking Zippo, and she's like, ah, just fucking screams and drops the lighter on the ground and lights up the fucking truck. And you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, just pure fucking rage. (laughs) And, yeah, she just, she's, like, she's gone primal at this point. She has gone primal. You know, she's thrown the lighter on the ground. The truck fucking blows up with the cop car. And you're like, all right, well, this is good. And all of a sudden, the movie turns into Christine. (laughs) And you see the truck back up. And then you hear, vroom, 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 you know, the truck revving up. And I'm like, oh, shit, he's not dead. You know, he's coming after her. And just chasing her fucking down. I was like, okay, officially he's become Michael Myers. There's no way you could stop this fucking guy. Um, yeah. And what do you think about that? Like, when the truck starts up again, like, did you think it was going to start up again? Or do you think that was it? Well, to be honest, after we had the explosion, I was expecting a Burning Man. Unfortunately, we did not get a Burning Man. But Like Michael Myers and Halloween, too. Yeah. You know, but no, we didn't get that. Instead, the truck started up. And, but again, we, you've got the truck. You can run her the fuck down. But no, the mindsets of the killers are to play cat and mouse. And he takes this time while she's trying to work her way up to this bridge. Is He's taking mm-hmm. his time. He's going up there. You know, not running her down. Yeah, and not running her down or anything like that because, again, they have this weird sense of honor, apparently, of what, how they kill. And right. the, the man in the mask is still alive, crispy as fuck, though, comes out with the axe to finish the job. Dragging it on the ground like he did before in the pool house. Like, mm-hmm. I still love the fact that he still has that, where he's just dragging this axe behind him like he did in the pool. But when you see him, I love the fact that the air supply song, Making Love Like Nothing at All, starts to distort when he gets out of the truck. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. It starts to fade out and get a little distorted. And you hear him breathing through this mask, and you can see half of his face is exposed, and he's all fucked up, but he still has this fucking axe. And he falls to the ground, and she's like, fuck yes, like this is it. You know, he's done. I need to find help still. And she runs into the middle of the street and finds a a pickup. And this is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reference that I got. Because when she dives into the back of the truck, the fucking guy's still after her. (laughs) The man in the mask is still trying to come after her. So she grabs that fucking bat and just wails on the side of his head and leaves him laying on the side of the road. So you think, all right, this is done. Like, they're done. There's no way he's coming back. Like, this is her survival mode. And you have that moment in the back of the pickup truck that she's sitting in of of dawn coming up, of of morning. And she's like, all right, I'm covered in blood, but I made it. You know, everything's going to be okay. Monkey, this is where I wanted to get your opinion, because I felt like the brother should have died. And I know the ghoul said the same thing. I felt like the brother should have died. Uh, I agree because when we when we have that moment of relief, like you said, you know, of Dawn coming and she's riding in the back of the truck, I thought it should have been cut in the movie right there. In my opinion. Yes. Yep. You know, I, mean, I like what they did. 
I mean, I, I, I like what they did, Monkey, and that's what it, we'll, we'll talk about yeah. it in a minute. But, yeah, if yeah. the brother but, had died, but, I would have been like, you know what, it's natural. You know, the brother was fucked up. You know, if he had died, he had died. She's obviously driving away. So you're talking about her leaving this guy in a pool house saying, I'll get help. Now you have Dawn coming. So you, you want me to believe that he survived? Like he just laid there bleeding out and he yeah. lasted long enough to be taken away to a hospital? Like I, just, I was like, that's a stretch. Yeah, I, I agree on this one. It is 100%, dude. It's like because, you know, again, I was expecting in the movie right there, you know, ha- happened to hit my ta- uh, tablet, and I was like, I got another 10 fucking minutes left of the movie. What the fuck? <laughs> You know, yeah. Yeah, but somehow they're able to make it back to a town. She's able to contact the police, the police and the ambulance, maybe, make it all the way up there, and somehow they're able to stabilize the brother who has fucking been bleeding all night long. <laughs> right. Internally bleeding because he was bleeding out of the mouth. So he's internally yeah. bleeding. But he manages to make it to the hospital. And he's laid up in the hospital bed, and there's Kinsey, you know, sitting by his side. You know, it's like you got stabbed, like, in the leg pretty bad, but it's okay. Like, yeah, you're fine. You know, it's, it's all good. Because she didn't really know how to deal with that injury in the movie. Because when she was walking, it's like, you're fine. Especially when the truck was on fire, she was just walking. I'm like, shouldn't you be limping a little bit? Because I know when I fell in the pit at GBH, I was limping like a motherfucker. And I was not okay. But, <laughs> Apparently, like, it's magical, like, she's fine. But I love the fact that when she's in the hospital, she's like, all right, you know, my brother's going to be okay. I'm okay. I'm going to pour myself a little bit of water. And then she hears the, the uh, jack-in-the-box that she had heard earlier in the movie. That's the one thing we didn't get to, was that was the doll yeah. face's way of scaring her was a uh, jack-in-the-box. And she then heard you hear that, too? pounding on the door. So... Yeah, so you, what I wanted you to heard the jack of the box. Oh, go ahead. Jack of the box. What I wanted to get from you is that do you feel like maybe the man of the mask survived? Or is this her in her own mind cracked point? Like, I could never be okay again. Where every time I hear uh, somebody knocking on the door, I'm going to think about this moment. And I'm never going to be okay again. Well, I, I think particularly how you just said it, is we don't need to know if there was anyone there or not. Because exactly. the, fact that, the fact that she is going to have that scarring for the rest of her life, in my opinion, you know, is, yeah, she didn't walk out of this, you know, perfectly fine and, you know, go back to summer vacation. No, she, you know, yeah, she's never going to be able to hear a knock on the door ever again for the rest of her life, you know, without losing her shit. And that's exactly and, the way I took it, out. yeah. Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and I, I and I love the fact that they made that that you know again the sound effects guys just doing such a great job of just making just a simple knock so fucking scary. Mm-hmm. Now all now all of that being said, there was a deleted scene on the DVD that was an alternate was ending. Yeah, where okay, what was um that? where she goes and fills up the cup of water. Here's the knock on the door. But when she opens it, there's nothing in the hallway. But she hears really? the axe. But no, but she hears the scrape of an axe coming toward her, and all the lights in the hotel room go out, and she just screams, cut to black. What? That's a good way to end it. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know that I, I heard that. I'm like, you know what? 
my gut reaction is that's great. At the same time, I kind of like the way they ended it theatrically with just the knocking and her going, oh, fuck. Like, is yeah. that the strangers or am I just making it up? I don't know what to think anymore. Um, you know, because what I loved about this movie, uh, you know, we talked about it, but I like the fact that they ended this story. They've killed off the strangers. You know, the man in the mask, mm-hmm. the pinup girl, the dollface killer, they're dead. They've all been killed in their own individual ways. So it kind of ends the story. Like, you don't have to go back and make a, a Strangers 3. And I know a lot of people, after they saw Prey at Night, said, I want another one. But logically, you probably could do it, but it would have to be a prequel. You know, that would well, have to be between the Strangers and Prey at Night. There's no way you can make a sequel because they're dead. They've all been killed. All right. Uh, we got eight minutes left. But that being said, though, dude, is that we don't know 100% if the man in the mask is dead because he's left there laying on the road. I was pretty sure he was dead. Like, was that hit to the side of his head with the baseball bat? I'm like, yeah, he got brain. He's dead. There's no yeah, way I mean, and he's coming back. yeah, and he and he too is internally bleeding and whatnot. And apparently, in this universe, you can last forever on internal bleeding. So, <laughs> yeah. so who knows? You know, again, we we don't know for sure. You know, th- there c- could be the possibility that he's fine, and yes, they could bring him into a third act of the Strangers. Um, yeah, and recruit another girl, like two girls. You know, another pimp and another, uh, uh, you know, a pimp girl. Well, it doesn't have to be two girls. You know, just another group. You know, but yeah. It could be another group. But that's why I said when you walked walked into this movie, you don't need to see the first one to get this one. That's why I really appreciated it. It wasn't kind of connected to the first one. If you want to watch the first one, it's there. It's a great movie. But at the same time, Prey at Night was such a good standalone. And that's, you know, it's not something where you're like, oh, I didn't see the first one. Am I going to be lost? It's like, no, not at all. Like, you're going to enjoy this yeah. movie and have a good time. No, I, I, I really had a lot of fun watching this movie. Thank you so much for picking this game. And, and I'm glad. Like I said, I, I was nervous because it's a modern horror movie. I don't normally pick them, but I felt like The Stranger's Prey at Night had enough of a, a nod to 80s nostalgia horror and slashers but I felt like we were going to have a good time with it. So with that being said, as we close out tonight's episode, next week, uh, Monkey, it's your pick. So what do you got for us? Next week, I am picking Mad Love, starring Peter Lorre from 1935. Wow. I've been waiting to see this movie. I'm so glad you picked it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how the rest of the cast is going to feel because not only <laughs> yeah. is it – not only is it old, it's really fucking old. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's 30s old. But it's fucking Peter Lorre. Like, uh, if anything, Monkey, it'll just be me and you next week again for an episode. I know but I'm looking I'm, forward to it because I know you've popped up this movie to me a lot. So I'm looking forward to seeing you. Yeah, and I, I have a link uh, for the, the rest of the cast. But, yeah, it's just it's 1935 horror starring Peter Lorre, but at the same time, starring Peter Lorre, not as his typecast that he usually is. And we I'm get not to see Peter him. Lorre. I'm not yeah. playing my counterpart. <laughs> yeah, so we get, yeah, exactly. So we actually get to see Peter Lorre actually act. And that's why I chose this movie. Is it better than M? That's what I want to know. I almost chose Elm, except Elm is the 
it is a subtitled foreign movie. And, and it's hard to find, too. No, I fa- no, I found Elm easier than I found oh, really? Mad Love. I saw Elm yeah. like a couple of years ago, and I love Elm. Yeah, and that's another good no, Peter Lorre movie. Yeah, so I was wondering yeah, about Elm is another fine, mo- fun movie. But again, um, we're, we're talking foreign movie subtitles, and we just covered a subtitled movie, so I was thought I'd give us a break mm. on my pick. <laughs> well, I'm I'm looking forward to Mad Love. Um, you know, I'm a fan of Peter Lorre. I'm a fan of old movies. So you know, Ghoul's gonna be back next week. We don't know about the doc, but <laughs> you know, if anything, it'll be another episode with me and you, Mucky, covering Mad Love uh, with Peter Lorre. Um, so before we close out real quick, uh, I wanted to give a shout-out to Horror and Sons, uh, Dustin Fallon's site. Uh, he has T-shirts going right now. We posted the links on the Talking Terror Facebook page, so you can check them out, different sizes, different colors. Uh, definitely something to check out to support that site. Um, they've become such a huge supporter of our show. And I'm a supporter of that site, Horror and Sons, because of their reviews and how they handle horror in such a great way. So if you have a chance, check out their T-shirts, support them site, buy a T-shirt, and do right by independent horror sites like Horror and Sons. Absolutely. All right. So, Mucky, what was this show sponsored by tonight? All right, tonight we only have one sponsor on the greatest American holiday there is. I'd like to say tonight's episode of Talking Terror was very unofficially brought to you by the greatest American beer there is. Pap's fucking blue ribbon, baby. <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. No, that's the greatest American hero, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm thinking about William Cat as the greatest American hero. not thinking about the yes. greatest American beer as PBR, but... Uh, Mucky, I'm so glad that you loved my pick for tonight. Uh, meant a lot because I was I was nervous uh, picking a modern horror movie, but I'm glad that you appreciated this as much as I did. I know the ghoul really appreciated it, so I'm glad I got a home run for once with one of my picks. No, <laughs> no, great job, thank you, King, uh, for picking the movie. I had a great time watching it, and for those of you listening at home, if you have not seen it, check this movie out. You will not be disappointed. As for, me, I'm the, <laughs> as for me, I'm the Mad Monkey. Thank you for listening, and make sure to tune in next week for more Frights and Sounds of Talking Terror. Good night, everybody. Mad love next week. I'll see you next week, Mad Monkey. For me, keep watching horror movies. Keep America strong. Later, everybody. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.